HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Eating Matters, a weekly conversation about food and food policy. I'm Kim Kessler with the Resident Program for Food Law and Policy at UCLA Law School, and we are broadcasting live from Brooklyn on Heritage Radio Network. Joining me today's co-host is my producer, Jenna Liute, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have in the studio with us the wonderful author of the Sensation Cookbook, <laughs> Good and Cheap, Leanne Brown. Leanne, welcome. Hi. You're also our first uh, in-studio guest of the season. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So My voice sounds much more beautiful than everyone else's. <laughs> it's very exciting for us. We're, we're usually like fielding, you know, policy folks around the country. Right. So it's nice to People have People in D.C. and human sometimes. Yes. You're, yes. you're going to see how the behind the scenes actually works. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I get to watch people dining nearby. So Right. Wonderful. Absolutely. So um, so some listeners may be familiar with your book. I it, I'm actually... A huge fan of it. So I have to come obsessed. Out yeah, a little bit, a little bit obsessed. Um, and but for people who aren't, it is a cookbook that is was born out of a grad school project, became kind of a Kickstarter sensation, is now being sold all around the country, and its focus is really how to eat well on a budget. Yes. And I want to just start out by asking you. You know, the book has kind of gone on to grow and be this major thing, and I think you've been going all around the country talking about it and selling it. Can you talk about what was your goal when you first set out on, your, on that project? Kind of putting yourself back <laughs> oh in that my God. space. It's like hard to even remember. I was talking with someone about this recently, how almost impossible it is to even remember who I was at that point. Because I was thinking very small. Um, for me, you know, it was my grad school thesis. And I thought, great, you know, if I can just get this out to a few of the, really like the people that I'd been volunteering with while I was doing my research, um, hoping to work with a couple of New York City nonprofits and um, kind of get the work out there to to. A lot of the families that I just met with that I knew would would appreciate it and enjoy it. That was what I was thinking, you know, maybe sort of prove to a few people, look, look, I'm 
good at this and maybe you want to hire me to do something more substantial, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, and then when I put it out online and thousands of people downloaded it and people were starting to become interested in it, it was just like, whoa, I have not been thinking big enough. Um, and part of that, yeah, so it's been sort of a journey of like just gaining the courage to put it out there. And I've really needed and I'm so grateful for all the people who've encouraged me along the way and really have said, this is useful for me because that for me, that's the big motivator is like, I just want to make something that's useful for people. And so um, to hear that it is has been like, okay, then I will do everything I can to get it out there. That's that's awesome. Um, I'm curious as to so your thesis project you could just do was it like yeah, anything like you wanted whatever you want it's really cool because the program so it's food studies which is I'll just I mean I'm sure your listeners probably know about it but it is a little bit it's I believe only about 15 years old it's a very young program and NYU I think is the first one um, so it's extremely young field of study it's really broad mm-hmm. and so people have so many different interests and there's no sort of specific you know because it's not as old as something like anthropology where they say, okay, you have to write a paper and it has to be exactly this way. There's nothing like that. So people will sometimes start businesses. People will, will write books or, um, or start writing a book, you know, maybe a book proposal. Um, people do sort of wide scale projects or they do, you know, your classic big, old, long, beautiful paper. (laughs) Um, and so, I remember just shooting the breeze with a friend of mine and kind of saying like, oh man, I don't know what I should do for my thesis and saying, you know, I wish I could just make a food stamps cookbook or something. And she was like, yeah, why don't you do that? And then I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, do that. Why don't I do that? <laughs> yeah. Did you, when you, you, and you mentioned in the book the volunteer work they had been doing. Yes. So you were, what were, what was that work? More that actually happened a little bit um, after I decided to, to pursue this as the topic. I found out about this opportunity uh, doing grocery store tours for lower income families through the Share a Strength program. Um, and so I did that for about a year. Actually, in Bushwick, um, I would go to WIC Center. Um, and every, every week, and I would work with different families and we just go on either, uh, there are a few different markets nearby and we go through and we talk about sort of healthier food choices. And, um, and I always tried to make it very like open-ended, not luxury at all. Um, and I learned so much from that. Um, not only, and, and one of the big things that I really learned, which was validating, I think was that. Um, sort of talking about like, oh, choose this one because it has less sodium was not super engaging. Like uh-huh. people's eyes would glaze over, right? Whereas when we'd be in the produce section and we'd be looking at maybe some unfamiliar fruits or vegetables and I'd start to say like, hey, does anyone, has anyone ever used this? Like what's something we could make with this? And we could actually start talking about meals that people actually enjoyed and then I could maybe share some different way to do it. Then we could like get talking and then people would open up and we'd start to get to talk about actually much more important things. So it was a great, um, it was a great way to just like open things up and really talk. And I just realized that so much of what people, you know, nobody wants to eat poorly. Like that's just not a thing. Um, everyone wants to eat well and they're trying as best they can. And sometimes just like small little changes or just new ideas are all that it takes. And, um, that's really what I want. I realized I wanted to share with people. Did you get to, I know that the grocery tour doesn't entail this, but did you get to cook with anyone at that no, time? Unfortunately. Well, a couple times we did do little food demos at the Wick Center, but it was very like, you have to have your gloves on and everything, you know, mm-hmm. high up people have mm-hmm. to decide whether or not it like fits the goals of the program and all that kind of thing. So unfortunately I didn't get to do that. Um, I would love, and then since then, um, as this book has come out, I've gotten to cook with all kinds of different people. It's been phenomenal. 
I actually just did a cooking class with a group of um, mostly senior citizens in Philly yesterday um, when I was there. And uh, we made tacos and we made the cauliflower tacos. And it was really funny because half the group was like, these are the greatest thing ever. And the other half was like, these are too spicy. What are we going to do? <laughs> and I was like, sorry. <laughs> but it was great. Add cheese. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just douse it in cheese. That's add, sour, add sour cream. Yeah. Add a lot mm-hmm. of sour cream. Now, do you have um, professional culinary experience or how did you how did you come to write a cookbook besides you know, the thesis. Right. So I don't actually, um, I've just been, uh, a home cook for, well, my hope, you know, as long as not as long as I've been alive. Cause I wasn't cooking when I was extremely young. <laughs> You're like full um, disclosure. Yeah, truthfully, not my whole <laughs> life. Um, but for a long time and it's just been always something that I'm good at. Like, it's just, it's probably the thing that I'm best at is cooking. Um, and I can kind of see how things can come together and I really enjoy it. And for me, it's just, it's like a very easy, natural language. It comes very naturally. And so I've always been sort of surprised, I guess, because it's so easy for me that it doesn't come as easily to a lot of people. Right. And so I really enjoy being able to share that. Like, there's nothing more satisfying. I remember, like, I, I've loved food forever. Um, but And I always sort of wanted to work in food, but I knew I didn't want to be a chef, like, for a million different reasons. Most of which, it's just such hard work. Um, and I didn't want it to sort of ruin my love of food. Um, and I, I never knew there were these other ways to kind of work in food. And um, and I love I love to put food in front of people. But I like it so much more to be able to say, you know what, if you like that, let me tell you how to make it. It's actually totally doable. This wasn't even hard for me. Yeah. You know, like you could do this yourself. And having that experience early on, like especially with a few of my friends in college, like figuring out how to make some of our favorite foods and then showing them how to do it and having them like still years later when my friends will say like, I made your chan masala recipe yesterday. I do it all the time. It like just makes me so happy. So your enthusiasm for cooking is so obvious. And do you, with the book, have you found... I mean, you probably encounter in life, but people who don't like to cook, yes. you know, this is this conversation that you right. have, like cooking's the answer for of making things more affordable and making it more healthy. But some people, they just don't enjoy it. Yeah. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, or they don't know how to do it. Right. Yes. You know, I think it's one thing to grow up in a, in a household where food is sort of at the center and you, yeah, learn if you have no frame of skills, reference for yeah. it. Yes. It's very difficult. So no frame of reference is obviously, that's a whole different thing. I don't even think that's not liking it. I think that's mm-hmm. just not having the information right. yet right. Um, and not knowing you know what a powerful tool it is and like not yeah. it's like the box has not been opened yet you don't know how amazing it is um but the other well there's a couple of things uh one is tons of fear you know people are afraid of screwing it up um and i think that comes from a lot of different things there's so many messages i think you know i love like food tv i'm sure we all do like watch it it's so much fun but there's so much sort of suggestion in the world that like you have to be an expert to cook well and you don't yeah (laughs) you know you really don't especially with um the types of food that we actually eat on a regular basis like most of them are incredibly simple to put together and so people will often think like oh my gosh if i make a couple mistakes it's really going to be catastrophic when most small mistakes in cooking don't matter at all like you won't even notice it that's why i like cooking over baking right exactly (laughs) baking it's not that way but with cooking it really is like you can either fix it that's That's true yeah and then you can just chuck things in yeah Yeah. and so there's fear and then um like there's this woman that i i spoke with a few weeks ago and it was just really she had such a funny response because i always ask people and they say oh i'm a terrible cook 
Um, so it's like, I don't like cooking or I'm terrible. And she was like, I'm a terrible cook. And I was like, what do you mean you're a terrible cook? Like, tell me why. Um, and she got into it and she's like, no, really, I've poisoned people before. And I was like, oh my goodness. Well, tell me <laughs> that like, okay, story. Well, maybe you are. <laughs> well, no, but I was like, what is the story behind this? How did you poison someone? And it turned out that she had had someone over to her house. They had not told her that she they had a really significant allergy and she'd served her something. Oh, and yeah. they'd gotten sick. And I was like, you didn't yeah. poison them. Mm-hmm. That was a like unfortunate situation. Yeah. That's a communication problem. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, you know, I mean, this is like, a, obviously, this is one anecdote of a bazillion. But I really think that's so often the case is like, if you've had one or two bad experiences that make you think that you can't do it, you sort of give up on it. I think that's well, true it's with such life. a vulnerability. Oh, it's I think there's something so vulnerable about like, I made this for you. What do yeah. you think? of Yeah. It? Like, yeah. And then so... someone's poisoned by like, think about how you would feel right. Like that would or be if really they just hard. don't like it. Or they yeah. just don't praise it a ton for sure and yeah. i think for a lot like of food people is, with kids like that's yeah. something you deal with on the right it's also it's also yes. very subjective right it's sort of what it's hard to find that you know unequivocally unequivocally like delicious dish or seasoning or spice or you know amount it's very much well that's actually how i cook so if you come to my house exactly. there's gonna be lots of cheese and lemon zest like right. on everything but that's <laughs> sort of an opportunity too is to i mean that's one of the things that i i loved about and i think in some ways why maybe it's a good thing that I don't have a culinary background is because I don't, you know, or I don't have a restaurant. Like, no one needs to recreate Leon Brown's dishes exactly. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, who am I? I All I want to do is sort of show, here's how you make this dish generally, and then mm-hmm. please make it to your taste. You know, make it right. out of the things that you can find. Make it out of, you know, your family's favorites. Like, if you really love olives, you want to, like, triple the olives in this, go for it. See yeah. how it works out. I love that. It's sort of Bittman-esque, I think, um, in its theory. And you, you talked... You know, coming back to the book a little more central, you mentioned it, you wanted to make a cookbook for SNAP users. Yes. So come back to that and talk about, you know, why um, the SNAP program, why that in particular? Yeah, how you figure out yeah. $4 yeah. a day. Yeah. Well, so that I think comes out of coming from Canada, uh, where I grew up, I moved to New York to do the program. And, you know, in food studies, we're studying the whole wide food system and uh, Canada and the U.S. have a lot of things in common. We use a lot of the same, you know, with large scales farming and like the same distribution networks and all this kind of thing. But we don't have a SNAP program in Canada. And so that was really interesting to me. And I don't know. How this is almost hard to express. It's like there are 46 million Americans living on food stamps, like 15 percent of the population. Mm-hmm. There's 35 million people in the whole of Canada um, I just like, I don't know how you don't sort of feel like, wow, that is a very important thing. And if there's something, and then I just felt like there wasn't enough sort of tailored for people who are on that kind of a restrictive budget. Um, there wasn't enough that was beautiful and that was enticing. That was really not just the sort of like, oh, it's a photocopied, like black and white thing with no foot. Fo- I Nothing wanted something empowering. attractive. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like there was a need there. And if I could possibly do something like, of course I would. So I kind of want to ask you about um, Trudeau. Oh, okay. But before that, (laughs) what, I mean, how does food assistance work in Canada and how prevalent is food insecurity? So we don't have, um, we don't have a food assistance program specifically. We have, um, of course, uh, programs for if you have fall below a certain income, you'll be given money. Um, But we don't have anything that's specific for food. That really is a uniquely American thing. Do you do you have? I mean, any data? This is off the top of your head of like food insecurity numbers. I believe they're close. I think it's like ten or eleven percent of Canadians are considered to be food insecure. Um, I could be. I know. I think it's a little lower than in the U.S. But I think it's like twelve to fourteen. You know, at a given moment, yeah. yeah. 
So that's interesting. So yeah. you mentioned the the goal for this to be appealing, and that's definitely one of the things that's really noticeable yes. about the book, and that you see when people are reacting to the book is it really um, seems to me to harmonize this focus on you know the aesthetic side of food and food being really beautiful and, and maybe to some extent some people criticize that but the sort of bougie foodie approach right and <laughs> but harmonizing that with you know accessibility have you um have you felt that you were able to do that successfully what feedback has made you i have you gotten about that? i think i have managed to do that pretty successfully i hope that it is a harmony of um, it's the sort of natural beauty of food without being like unnecessarily sort of fussy. Like I want it to be accessible and, um, and practical too. And I think there's a beauty to practical food. Like there's a lot of, there's some recipes in there that are like kind of ridiculous, like popcorn or like put stuff in yogurt, you know, like these super simple foods. They're not, but it's just like, it's a picture of the food and it is beautiful. And maybe it is to me because I love all food and it's always gorgeous to me. Um, but I've had, you know, I, I think I've had good feedback. And the other reason why it's important to have, um, those photos is because I think it's also motivating and we're talking about um, like all of us you know maybe going like I don't like cooking or I don't that photo can be that thing that gets you through go like that really looks good and you know what it's only a few steps and mm-hmm. she says it's easy so maybe I'll try it like really like how do we kind of get people to try something I think because I think that once you start cooking it sells itself you just have yeah. to get people to try it so we're going to take a short break and then we'll come right back Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha. Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram and he's non-verbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him all the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for nonverbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that. For more information, visit culturecity.org. And we're back on Eating Matters with Leanne Brown. Um, Leanne, before the break, we were talking a lot about cooking. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm wondering... I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, um, well, they think of cooking as like a privilege, a time privilege. So um, what do you how how do you respond to sort of that idea that cooking's a time, you know, that cooking is more of a privilege um, compared to some people who might not be able to, um, you know, have the time? And how do you argue that it's more economical, in fact? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think your point, what you just said then, like, is it more economical? It all depends on how you think and what your resources are. Um, And so I think, you know, for um, folks who are really living on a a SNAP budget, Mm -hmm. um, it often, you know, your time is money. Is money. Yeah. Yeah. And so it can be, you are going to choose, you know, whether or not to to use your time in that way. Um, And... I guess one of the things is I don't think that cooking takes quite as much time as as people imagine it does. Um, And it also, the other thing, so whenever we talk about these things, I always want to kind of get more at the root of like, what are, what really is the time issue? Cause I think there's, there's time in the kitchen, which isn't often that long, but I think what takes more time is actually getting to the store, getting your groceries, yeah. making sure you have all the food available. And unfortunately, like that's just something we have to do no matter what, like we always have to go foraging and getting food for ourselves. Um, that is going to be a problem no matter what, you know, it's no like matter. having the dishes done from breakfast so that you can start with dinner. Exactly. It's, you know, it's a whole host, I think. Yes, there's so many small complications. And so unless, you know, you work at Google and they just feed you breakfast, Mm -hmm. lunch, and dinner, um, you're going to have to deal with that in your life in some way or another. Um, So thinking about it, I guess it's always going to be up to the individual person and and how they Mm -hmm. spend their time. But I think, and then you have to figure out like how much is each thing worth to you. And you'll meet, I mean, I've met so many people who say like, oh, I hate cooking. I don't like to spend any time except for this one thing or except Mm -hmm. for this thing, which really matters to me. And everyone has those exceptions of foods that matter so much to them. The other thing, every single member of the household needs to be a part of getting food on the table too. Um, and that is something I always like to talk about. I will often have these roomfuls of, of people who say, you know, I really like cooking, but I find it so hard when I come home and my kids and my husband are sitting there going, what's for dinner? And we've just had the same tough day and it's like all on me. And I, I agree. Like, that's not right. I'm sure you guys agree too. Like it should <laughs> We're nodding be, emphatically. <laughs> should not be one person's job to get food on the table. It's just not reasonable. But I was and just so telling Leanne yeah. at the break, my husband actually does cook a lot Fantastic. and he, for but not usually have cookbook. He's got like four staple recipes. And but your cookbook, he like goes for it, has cooked a lot of things out of it. So I'm glad it's encouraging some experimenting from. But I completely agree that that's and kids really too. Critical. Like, and it doesn't mean that everyone has to have you know necessarily even an equal job, um, but that everyone should be a part of it so that it isn't so that there isn't that experience of one person coming home and going like, well, it's your problem to feed us. It's like people could have at least thought, what could we have, and maybe set some yeah. things out, maybe grabbed Deciding some of the food on what the, to eat. Yeah. I think it's just the make it all everyone's get job. some skin in the game. Yeah. 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 So one thing about the book, because it is so beautiful and appealing and has all these delicious things inside. Um, is there, you know, did you have any concern that by talking about eating on a snap budget and this amount that, you know, a lot of people have worries that the amount's not high enough and mm. we need to actually have more food assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there any concern that this is kind of validating the program as it? <sighs> I mean, yes, I do worry about that. That's probably like my deepest, like, fear it's just that someone will take it out of context and think the same with like occasionally people think it's like the four dollar a day diet like you're saying this is a great idea god no like mm-hmm. that's not what it is it's really meant as a like this is a reality it's not right it actually really sucks people should have much more um i hate that there are so many people who have to work with this or less um but it's a fact and i just want to arm people with as much like power as i possibly can give them um so on the one hand, while well, I, I get nervous about that and, and maybe people who have not the best of intentions sort of taking it out of context and using it in that way, I also think that it's still 
you know, I've talked to so many people who've benefited from it that I still feel like it's, it was worth doing. Um, and I hope that, you know, if I ever get the opportunity to refute those things, I can, and I try to say as much as possible that like, I think the SNAP program is really great in so many ways. Um, it was better in the seventies and I think it needs to continue to be funded and funded better. Um, because right now it just kind of keeps people afloat. It doesn't always, it, doesn't do what it's intended to do, which is really try to pull people out of poverty. Right. Um, and if it is given a bit more money, it could do that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think this just sort of shows that. It does actually, uh, because I, I yeah. um, it does actually pull people out of poverty. So yeah. statistically speaking, but, right. you know, not as much as it not could. As much as right. It could, no. Right. And so, I, I don't want to really totally criticize right. it because I do yeah. think it's actually an amazing. Yeah, property. no. And you came, you yeah. said you came across clearly with that. Um, just one other thing on that. You just mentioned like hearing from so many people, how helpful it's been. Can you tell us some of those stories or experiences? Oh my you've gosh. Had? Well, can I, I'll tell you my favorite story. Yeah. Tell us your my favorite. favorite story is Brenda. Um, she is this woman, uh, this grandmother from Texas, and she wrote to me last summer during the Kickstarter. And at that point, she said, um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled I found your book, and I've been looking online for different uh, recipes. She's a sole care provider for her two grandchildren. They're eight and ten, her little granddaughters. And she was saying, you know, we're getting by on my retirement income. It's really hard. Um, I, we, we get SNAP benefits and it's great and it really helps us out, but we still run out of money towards the end of the month. We live in this tiny town in Texas and the food pantry has stuff that I really just, I especially don't want to feed to my eight and 10 year old girls. Like it's sugary, it's processed stuff. Um, but we have to most, most months. And so I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm, I'm starting to plant a garden, which is wonderful that she has that access to that land. Amazing. And we had this great back and forth. And then earlier this, we got out of touch for a while um she i mean she was so sweet she told me all kinds of amazing things but then we got out of touch and she uh she sent me an easter card it was adorable and then she sent me this incredible update and letter about what had been going on with them and uh first off of course the girls are doing great in school and they're track stars and all that kind of stuff. um but then she finished and said oh and by the way we haven't been to the food pantry in five months because we've been just cooking all the time we are um, eating more beans and less meat and all kinds of vegetables and the garden's doing really well and we're also thrilled with our food and i've lost 40 pounds and i'm wow. off my diabetes medication and my heart medication and we're just wonderful anyway bye and i was like wow <laughs> that's amazing so that was like incredible and actually even since then she's lost more weight i had no idea she was even trying to do this stuff and i think that that is just like so i mean that's all like brenda's obviously an amazing person um but i think that's the power of like good food right what, and information just does what are some of the things that you look for like you look to to maximize or minimize when creating a recipe and trying to make it budget conscious so i want oh i went through so many different things i tried at first to make these like super strict meal plans and then i realized they were really unhelpful because if people were missing something or they yeah. found something for a different price or whatever or they had a different family size or someone had a crazy appetite or whatever it would all just break down i was like oh this, this isn't good. So I've, the first thing I try to do is make it really flexible, like really figure out like what's the core of it. And then I try to use a lot of the same types of things over and over again, because that's efficient, right? Like if you have economies um, of scale. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you have something, you want to be able to use the whole of it. Like it's not good to buy 20 different items for one recipe, just use a wee bit of everything and then have them sit around. Obviously mm-hmm. you're going to want to be able to use everything up. So I have a lot of recipes that are really designed around trying to use up like the bits and bobs that 
you end up with all the time and trying to, you know, make sure you use the other half of the can of tomato sauce, the other half of the can of coconut milk, like whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, so all those kinds of things. And then, yeah, just things that I consider to be valuable, like this is worth the time. This is worth um, the, the effort. And, you know, some of that's, I think, a little bit um, my own personal taste that's going to be what driven are, by. What are some examples of those? Um, What's really worth it? Well, so <laughs> people bring this up a lot, but like I suggest using butter instead of oh, yeah. uh, cheaper oils. And I think that's because um, a lot of people, though, that's like very non-standard advice for people who are lower income, though. Like just about everyone says, you get margarine, get vegetable oil. But like those have no value. They're just all they do. Yes. Okay. They keep things from sticking to the pan. But they have no flavor. I wish that everyone could just see the look of indignation <laughs> yeah. on your face as you talk about this. I mean, I don't know why margarine even exists anymore, oh, but that's another horrible. conversation. Yes. <laughs> and so so butter to me is one of those things that um, you know, don't you don't need to use a lot of it, but it will add a lot of flavor and it mm-hmm. will make things crisp up and get brown on the edges and just does that special thing that only butter can do. <laughs> and so it's worth it. And there are a lot of a lot of little things that are like that. Do you have a favorite recipe? Actually, probably my favorite recipe is the one I mentioned earlier, the chana masala. And that's really just because it's like very nostalgic for me. It was one of the first. I adore Indian mm-hmm. food and, and Pakistani food. And um, chana masala, We when I was in college, there was this coffee shop where we all went and it was a coffee shop slash had a bunch of Pakistani food. Mm-hmm. And we would always be like, how do they make this taste so good? Oh my God. (laughs) And it took me such a long time of experimenting at home to figure out finally how to do it. And I just couldn't wait to share it with all my friends. And so it's just like one of my, my go-tos it's magical. It's like chickpeas in a spicy curry sauce. Like it's so easy. It takes like 20 minutes and it's so good. It tastes like a thing you've been like slaving away for days to make. Yeah. Delicious. So it's just, yeah, that's my like quintessential ideal. And yeah. a, a lot of the recipes, it's it's very this res, this book book is very vegetable forward, yes. which is which is awesome, and um, they're healthy. I mean, it seems to me, upon, yeah, the majority of them, them are yes. very healthy. Um, was it a decision to? Was it available to you to include nutrition information in this book, or, or was that a conscious it decision? Wasn't to- re- well, so it would have been a lot of fuss, um, but and that's not really what put me off. It was a conscious decision, mm-hmm. uh, ugh, decision, <laughs> um, and it was because I find that sometimes putting nutrition information on something will is like a sort of subtle signal to someone this is a diet thing, right? And that puts a lot of people off, and I just really didn't want to do that um, because. Uh, often I think the people who are most in need of that information really badly need to see it and not have it have a label on it. This is diet food. This is healthy. Um, I want, it's like saying something is vegetarian to someone who is really averse to that. Like they're just not going to try it. Whereas if you say, look at this great meal, doesn't it look nice? Look at these photos. Don't you just want to eat this? I didn't want to sort of get into that part. It just, it happens. We don't need to, to get into it. Then the other, the other practical reason was that because so many of the recipes are so flexible and because I suggest, you know, just put whatever you have, like Mm -hmm. these types of vegetables or this type of thing, or put these additions in, um, that was really going to change sort of the calorie outcome and all those other things. And I was just like, is this even useful information at that point? So you wanted to keep it flexible. Yeah. I love that point about eating with your eyes, though, that we kind of have talked about the how beautiful the book is um, to sort of encourage people to make the recipes. Yeah. So, Leanne, what is next for you? Well, I am going to take a break for a little while. I'm going to run the New York Marathon. Yeah, we're going, to, we're going to talk about yes. carbo loading in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a few ideas, I think. Well, so first, I really want to tell the stories of people like Brenda, like all the people who have been reaching out to me. I have 
hundreds of these stories. They're amazing. And I want to figure out the best way to tell them, um, whether that's in written form, you know, maybe like a podcast kind of thing, or maybe even videos or something. Um, I want to figure out how to do that because I feel like so many people have trusted in me to share these stories, which are extremely important. They are... When I talk to crowds and tell these stories, I feel like the sort of stigma of food stamps is like shifting a little bit, like in people's minds a little bit. And it's so important. In a positive way. Yes, exactly. When you say you feel, is it, I mean, just has, you know, does anyone say that to you or I thought of it this way or thought of it that way? Yeah, people say, I never knew that, you know, I didn't know that you could be on food stamps and have a PhD. I never mm -hmm. really thought about it that way before. Um, it's just like, it's not something we hear a lot about because people um, feel a lot of shame. And so, so many people that we... Um, have grown up with, like, well, we all, like, either have been or know someone who's been on SNAP. And um, it doesn't mean anything about you. Um, but there's so much shame around it. And so I really want to, I met this incredible woman in Seattle who said, wouldn't it be great if um, food stamps would stop being a mark of shame and become a badge of honor? And I was like, yes, that would be amazing. And I don't think I'm going to be able to make that happen. But like, if I could just contribute in a small way, I'd love to do that. And then I also want to do something about cooking with kids because um, and something practical, not the sort of stuff that I grew up with, like 12 ways to make brownies with extra marshmallows and <laughs> that kind of yeah. thing. Um, but more like really practical because I worked with so many families um, and the kids often, you know, the kid who's sitting at the table and mom comes home, they say, I need food. Mm -hmm. um, they want to help out, but they just don't know how. Um, and parents or guardians are not always around to be able to help, either because they don't know themselves or because they just don't have time, simply. And I know that kids are dying to help out. They really, they know that mom and dad are struggling, you know, and they want to help. And so I think if we could, maybe a YouTube series for, for that age would be really cool. So we'll it see. It would be really cool. Well, keep us posted. Keep Thank uh, you. We, of course. Yes. <laughs> Some potential <laughs> yeah. watchers at home. Um of, so, the, of the marathon? Oh, no. Of yeah, the, oh, of the sorry. marathon, too. I'm, marathon, I'm very... <laughs> for anyone who's ever run a marathon, I think they can understand that it just takes over your life, like every aspect of your yeah. life. That's all people talk about. How are you carbo-loading? Tell me your plan. Well, so we're going to eat pizza after this. Obviously. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. And then for the next couple of days, yeah, I'm basically just going to try to have eat as much as possible. I love like it. bread and potatoes and all that stuff that kind of makes you feel awful at the time. Right. But I know it's going to be worth it. It makes Definitely. such a difference. Good. Well, we uh, will be thinking of both of you, wishing you well on your running and Leanne with all of your future adventures as you go forward with this. It's really exciting to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you again. That's Leanne Brown, the author of Good and Cheap, um, and Jenna Liute, who joined me as co-host today. Uh, our intern is Austin Brunyarski. Our show music is by Tim Archer, my husband. Thank you to our sponsors and to our show engineer, Liz Smith. Um, the podcast is available on Heritage Radio Network or at iTunes and Stitcher. And you can also find us on Twitter at Eat Matters HRN. I'm Kim Kessler, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.